We begin with this uh, piece of writing from Edward Winslow, one of the original colonists of the Plymouth Plantation. Our harvest being gotten in, our governor sent four men on fowling, that so we might, after a special manner, rejoice together after we had gathered the fruits of our labors. They four in one day killed as much fowl as with a little help beside, served the company almost a week, at which time, amongst other recreations, we exercised our arms. Many of the Indians coming amongst us, and amongst the rest their greatest king, Massasoit, with some ninety men, whom for three days we entertained and feasted, and they went out and killed five deer, which they brought to the plantation and bestowed on our governor and upon the captain and others. And although it be not always so plentiful as it was at this time with us, yet by the goodness of God we are so far from want that we often wish you partakers of our plenty. This passage and a briefish reference in the history of Plymouth Plantation written by Governor Bradford are the only extant first-hand accounts that we have of what we have come to call the first Thanksgiving. And from these scant details, we, the American people, over the years have drawn out this full-fledged myth of the first Thanksgiving, a story of togetherness and happiness and sharing. The myth says that the friendly natives met the God-fearing bootstrappy pilgrims right at the shore of the new land they had arrived at and welcomed them in with open arms. And that the friendly natives taught the God-fearing bootstrappy pilgrims how to farm and fish and survive. And then after a good harvest because of all that learning the first year, the friendly natives and the God-fearing bootstrappy pilgrims held a great meal of thanksgiving, sitting side by side and sharing all they had. And after that, the God-fearing bootstrappy pilgrims moved out to expand and build a new nation, and the friendly natives were never heard from again. This is a myth that undergirds larger myths in America, myths about American exceptionalism and manifest destiny, casting the pilgrims as inheritors and rightful inheritors of a rich land. They were ordained by God to survive and spread the seeds of the idea that would become America throughout the new colonies. It is a myth that casts the colonists as godly and noble and kind-hearted and full of equanimity for their fellow humans, the virtues that justified their inheritance of the new land. And the myth casts the natives as props, objects put there to highlight and throw into relief all of that goodness and equanimity that the pilgrims possessed, casts them as bit players, background extras in a story that is set on their land, a land that they had lived in and cared for and died in 
for 10,000 years before meeting up with any European colonist. And then after they play their bit parts, they just disappear to make way for a new nation. Yeah, that's right, folks. Thanks for keeping the place warm for us all these years. Now, when you hear your cue, just come on and say your couple of lines and then very quickly exit stage left. That is the place of the Wampanoags in the myth of Thanksgiving. The myth that has given rise to thousands of school pageants full of paper hats and headdresses, which in turn go on to bolster the myth of Thanksgiving, along with another myth about the monocultural nature of indigenous lives. They were there, they shared, they disappeared. A few weeks ago in the Washington Post, they shared a feature story on the feelings of the current Wampanoag people as we look this year to the 400th anniversary of what we consider the first Thanksgiving. Last year was the 400th anniversary of the arrival of the Mayflower, and this year the first Thanksgiving. And the feelings are obviously mixed. Paula Peters, a Wampanoag journalist and educator and activist interviewed in the story, talks about a time when she was eight years old and the teacher explained to her and her classmates all about that first Thanksgiving tale. And after the story was complete, another classmate of hers asked, what happened to the Indians? The teacher answered, Sadly, they're all dead. And she said, no, they're not. I'm still here. And the story erases a people. Here is what we know absolutely about the first Thanksgiving. We know that the Wampanoags did help the pilgrims plant and harvest successfully. And we know that there was a three-day harvest feast, which is what they refer to it as, not Thanksgiving. And we know that initially the Wampanoags were not invited to the feast. They only showed up when they practiced the recreation of their arms, musket fire in the air in celebration, and they came running panicked, 90 of them with Chief Massasoit to see what the disturbance was. And only then did they see the feast in progress and were told that it was a feast of the harvest. And they joined and went out and killed five deer. And that's it. That is, that is all we know for certain about what we call the first Thanksgiving. We're fairly certain there was no turkey served there. We can make educated guesses today about what food was served at the feast. Fish, most likely, and, and deer, obviously. Maybe some duck. Certainly, probably, some beans and corn and squash and cranberries, the produce at the time that they farmed. And we also know for sure it was not an annual tradition. 
Because here's what we know for sure about the Wampanoags. They had lived on that land for at least 10,000 years before any European colonist arrived. At the height of its strength, it was as much as 100,000 people strong, occupying all of southeastern Massachusetts and Rhode Island in a land that they called Patuxet. We know that they were dealing with Europeans for at least a century before the Mayflower arrived, and that most of those dealings with Europeans resulted in being kidnapped into slavery because you could get 222 shillings for selling an Indian into slavery back in Europe. And we know that not long before the pilgrims arrived in 1620, there was a plague that lasted about three years that in the historical records of the Wampanoags was referred to as the Great Dying. We still don't know what disease it was, but it was a new disease. At the end of those three years, at the end of that pandemic, two-thirds of their population was gone. So many that when the colonists arrived at Plymouth, they arrived to many empty villages, fully built and just waiting for them to occupy, obviously a sign from God that they were meant to be here and thrive here. And we know that Chief Massasoit chose to enter into a strategic alliance with the Plymouth colonists because the pandemic had so depleted their numbers, they were now vulnerable to attack from surrounding nations. And we know that they did teach the colonists how to farm on the new land and survive. And we know they were not initially included in that harvest feast. And we know that more and more colonists arrived. And as more arrived, they spread out beyond that initial plantation, taking over and occupying more and more Wampanoag lands driving out the natives, murdering them, enslaving them. An act over a course of 50 years that could only be called genocide. But listen, yeah, th that's just terrible dinner table conversation. I mean, nobody wants to hear that while they're eating, right? So look at this feast that I have prepared. Look at all the people I have coming over. I don't want to spoil their appetites. And I can't feel grateful like I'm supposed to if I'm feeling bad about 400-year-old history. So listen, why not instead we just let's gorge ourselves and tell the story about how everyone got along for a hot minute and then go watch some football and then coo over our kids cutely parading around in the inappropriate and not at all historically accurate costumes that they made at school. You know, Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Denial. It's as American as apple pie. We don't like hearing stories that challenge our perception of who we are as a people. We just want to hear the stories that give us comfort and tell us that we have been good people all along. 
in Plymouth, the people have been actively avoiding that hard story over a span of 50 years. 50 years ago, the people of Plymouth were preparing the 350th anniversary celebration of the landing of the Mayflower. And as part of the festivities, they invited Wampanoag activist and scholar Frank James to speak, one of their elders. And James dares to, in the speech he prepares, center his people back into the story to talk about the struggles and the tragedies of the 350 years since. It is with mixed emotion, he writes, that I stand here to share my thoughts. This is a time of celebration for you, celebrating an anniversary of a beginning for the white man in America, a time of looking back, of reflection. It is with a heavy heart that I look back upon what happened to my people. You, the white man, are celebrating an anniversary. We, the Wampanoags, will help you celebrate in the concept of a beginning. It was the beginning of a new life for the pilgrims. Now, 350 years later, it is a beginning of a new determination for the original American, the American Indian. After reading the text he submitted, the planning committee for the 350th anniversary asked him instead to read a prepared statement that had been put together by a public relations firm. Frank James obviously refused to do so and was disinvited from the celebration. And in that moment, while halfway across the country, the drive to return Mount Rushmore to Native peoples was happening, he went on to found what is now a national day of mourning for Native Americans across the country, an annual protest on Thanksgiving on Coles Hill in Plymouth with a march to the statue of Massasoit. And this continues every Thanksgiving, imparting in the people who gather hundreds every year from across the country an education in the history of their people, an active work of dispelling the mythology that surrounds them and a raising of awareness of their ongoing struggles and the ongoing struggles of natives across the country. Because what is the Thanksgiving story to the Wampanoag and to any other indigenous peoples in America if that celebration centers on a story that continues to erase their lives and their culture, the lives and culture of a people who are still here. This is a question that many Native Americans struggle with and have tried to process. Larissa Fasthorse, a playwright and member of the Sikangu Lakota Nation, takes a satirical approach to trying to answer the question in her recent play, The Thanksgiving Play, from 2018. In the play, four white people are charged by their community with a little funding help from some Native American groups to create a new Thanksgiving play, a new pageant that, for the sensibilities of the community they live in, must both keep intact the myth that makes us all happy 
while upholding and honoring the native peoples who are erased from the story. And for a challenge factor, they can't do it in a way that makes white people uncomfortable. And 90 minutes later, after slews of bad ideas and arguments and confusion about consciences interspersed with moments from actual Thanksgiving lesson plans and pageant scripts from schools across the United States, the quartet comes to the conclusion that the only thing a new pageant can contain is nothing. Empty stage. Complete silence. Four white people can't do a play about Thanksgiving, says the director. Can't do a play about Thanksgiving that doesn't piss off the funders or the parents or the universe. So we just don't. This nothing will break the cycle. And it's hilarious in the moment. And I just saw it at the Santa Fe Playhouse, and I laugh uproariously at the moment, but it's a kind of laughter that happens because it's more polite to laugh than to scream in public. The recognition and the discomfort that acknowledgement instills. There is no way to tell our beloved traditional myth of thanksgiving and start to make things right with the peoples most harmed by it. So now what? Hartman Dietz, another member of the Wampanoag, who we saw in our earlier video, tells us about the 13 Thanksgivings of the Wampanoags. We need more gratitude, he says. And the gratitude he's talking about is a gratitude for gratitude's sake, hopefully divorced from a myth that serves nobody well. And this sounds discomforting, and it sounds daunting, but there is in that an opportunity. My colleague, the Reverend Daniel Gregoire, wrote in a Thanksgiving reflection a few years ago that this particular intersection of history and culture leaves me with ambivalence and discomfort, but it feels generative. I'm strangely excited about this particular moment of discomfort because something new could come out. Something like healing. This is our opportunity to reimagine what Thanksgiving could be and, by extension, who we could be. What would it mean to mourn with those who are mourning? What would it mean to jettison the mythos of Thanksgiving and even replace the traditional meal with a vigil in Plymouth led by the United American Indians of New England, the people who run the National Day of Mourning? We need gratitude. So don't worry in the moment. Give thanks. Enjoy your meal. Enjoy it with family and friends who make you grateful to be alive. And name your gratitude around the table as you might already. But also, maybe acknowledge whose land you gather on in all of your graces. And maybe make some plans 
to do it all over again sometime before next November. We need more thanksgiving. But as we practice a gratitude for gratitude's sake and practice it more often, also take time to learn more of the story of the Wampanoag people or of the native nations near to you. Learn where their lands are and were. Learn about the boundaries of every broken treaty. Visit native museums and cultural centers to see their art and their culture and their family life, both what had come before and how it exists among people who are still here. And support native organizations in the ways that they wish to be supported. Start to get a taste of the 10,000 years that have come before us. And be ready to tell a new story. And definitely skip the Thanksgiving pageant. Because admitting hard truths into our consciousness is a first step in starting to set things right. And all of this truth-telling and setting things right are also acts of real gratitude. Gratitude for what has come before us and gratitude who we can yet be not confined to just one day. May it be so.